0: don't have a Bible, the text will be up on the screens behind me in just a little bit. We also have some physical Bibles scattered around the room, the little racks beneath the seats. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, uh, we would invite you to take that physical one home. Uh, the reason for that's incredibly simple. Uh, we believe that God uses his word to, to do all kinds of massive important things, but chief among those important things is that he uses it to reveal himself to his people. Uh, full stop, we want you to know God. Uh, that's That's the that's the aim and devotion and the structure of our church family. That's what we want here. And so if the Bible is the tool that he's going to give himself to you, that's, that's what we want you reading as much as possible. So if you don't have a Bible outside of this place, it's kind of like a bad idea. And so we can send you home with a cheap paperback Bible today. If you start reading, it's the biggest win of my week, like for real. And so Romans chapter Five. Um, like I said, we we're, we're taking a break from our Romans series, uh, but uh, it's my job this morning to answer the what and the why question of baptism the what and the why question, um, and so regardless of whatever we've been studying throughout the rest of the year, like I truly believe, like I, I kind of think it's, it's the best thing to do. Uh, I truly believe that Romans is the best place to give us a clear picture of what God actually expects us to look at this issue with. Um, so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of competing ideas about baptism, right? Like, like if we just took a poll real quick of, of, of what you grew up learning, it would probably be all over the place. There's lots of competing ideas about baptism out there, even within biblically faithful churches, right? Churches that we would quickly and joyfully cooperate on a hundred other issues. This issue still gets a little bit confusing, right? This issue gets a little bit murky, uh, uh, but no matter what issue we're talking about, no matter what denominational affiliation you might have or might wish to have, align yourself with, all of God's people, all of us, whether uh, whether you call yourself a Baptist or a Presbyterian or a Methodist or whatever, uh, all of God's people are called to look at what the Bible says and try our best to walk as humbly as possible with what the Bible says right? That, that's our job. That's, that's what we need to do, All right? And so uh, th- that, that's how we're going to approach this. Um, the positive into that logic, the positive into that logic is that churches, at least biblically faithful churches, are holding up the Bible and saying, this is what we think the Bible says, right? That's a good thing. That's a good thing. The negative side of that logic is less appealing. The negative side of that logic means that there's a lot of confusion, among people who have bounced around from different church backgrounds. And there's a lot of well this guy told me this thing and this church taught me that thing and I read one where in this book that baptism was supposed to be like this. And so there's a lot of competing ideas amongst people who honestly probably have never really dug into the scriptures for their very selves. Right? And and in fact as a pastor I I almost never Like, for real, I almost never have a conversation about baptism where I'm not having to undo false assumptions that have no grounding in the Bible. Almost never. And so this morning, I want to simply try to clear the fog away and point to God's Word and see what it says. You ready to do that? I think that sounds like a good plan, right? In Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28, a text that I think we got up on the screen here, uh, a text that we look at a lot around here. Uh, We call it the Great Commission, right? Jesus gives a command to his followers. Can I get it up on the screen? Jesus gives a command to his followers to, to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Behold, I will be with you always even to the end of the age, right? That, that's a, a command that we look at a lot around here. In fact, some some people, if you call yourself a member, a, a part of our NBC uh, family, probably think we look at this, uh, this one text of scripture too much. Like, we've got a kids ministry right now that every Wednesday night they have a missions class, and in that missions class all school year long we're looking at these two verses over and over and over and over again like we talk about this verse a lot around here at our church we call it our one job to do Jesus gives commands to his followers to make other disciples other followers of Jesus from all the nations all the other people groups right it's a text that we look in here look at here all the time and part of this command at the end of verse 19 Jesus tells us to do what baptize and so while we do want to approach this subject humbly and with the understanding that you know we could be wrong about things like it's it's also important that we try our best to get it right right because Jesus himself commanded us to do it and so we we need to to walk humbly but we also need to well plant our foot where our foot needs to be planted right So how ought we to see baptism? How should we look at this thing? I want to go ahead and tip all my cards for the morning. I I think we need to see it as a story told. A story told. But let me show you how we get there. Romans chapter 5. Um, so because we've been working through the book of Romans together, we spent a lot of time talking about the gospel, right? Specifically about justification. In fact, J.B. hit on, on some of that stuff last week, that Romans is really ultimately about justification, that, in, that guilty sinners are declared innocent before a holy God. That's justification. But it's not because they did something to, that, that pleased God and required God to act. It's, it's not even because God is obligated to, to do something. His hand cannot be forced. In fact, the opposite is actually true. Because God is perfectly just, he must, must act on that justice and give sinners what they deserve. Or else, he's not actually just, he's a liar. Anybody want to call God a liar this morning? Seems like a bad idea? Yeah, it's probably a bad idea. And there are two terms that the Bible uses to describe this act of justice. God's wrath and Hell terms that don't normally get brought up in polite conversation, right? The stark reality is that, that declaring guilty people to be innocent is an insanely unjust thing to do. It's completely backwards to what God ought to do. And so if God is God, he cannot do that. He cannot declare guilty people to be innocent. He cannot act inconsistently to his good character. But the gospel, the good news, is that God makes a way where there was no way. God makes a way where there was no way. God put him on flesh and dwelled among us. Jesus came and Jesus lived the sinless life that neither you nor I are capable of living. We could never pull it off, which means that unlike you and me, Jesus didn't deserve to die. Not a lick. Not, not, not one bit. Like, I deserve God's wrath. You deserve God's wrath. Jesus, though, did not deserve God's wrath. He's the only person in all of history who could truly say that he is innocent. I know my heart. You willing to be that honest? Jesus is the only one who could ever say that, which means that the next part of the story is truly, truly mind-blowing. Jesus intentionally laid his own life down to pay the sin debt that you and I owe. Jesus didn't deserve to die. He went willingly. No one takes his life from him. He lays it down of his own accord, right? The Bible teaches that he died willingly and joyfully even. Joyfully on the cross to make propitiation or payment for our sin. And then just like he promised he would, because he's smart like that. He was raised from the dead as a vindication of his perfect righteousness. And there's nothing left to be paid. Why? Because he has righteousness enough to spare. He didn't cash out. He's got more in the tank. And those who place their faith in Jesus' finished work are reconciled forever to God by God. Because that is the gospel. And in Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, Paul points to these absolutely massive realities. Look at verse 1 with me. Paul says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Verse 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified, there's that word, right, justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Okay, so Paul says that Jesus didn't simply uh, simply come to rescue. He came to save by dying on behalf of the ungodly. It's not just some story where the knight swoops in and rescues the person who's in danger. No, no, no. He lays his own life down for the enemy. He came to actively love his enemy in the most cosmic of ways. It's something we've been celebrating all series long throughout the book of Romans, right? Those who were far from God have been reconciled, brought back near to him. Uh, And not because God's enemies deserved rescuing, but because our God is good. That's the story. He willingly makes himself near and willingly and joyfully makes himself known to those who have no business being near to him or knowing him. That's Romans. Because these are the kind of truths that These are the kind of truths that like, once you actually wrap your head all the way around them, once you understand them and submit to them and define your life by them, they forever change the way you see yourself and the rest of the world. Forever. This is why Christians do really weird stuff. Like write worship songs. That's a weird thing to do. Like other people write to the person that they love or maybe this thing in society that they want to change. No, no. we spill out our devotion to an unseen God. That's a, that's a weird thing to do if you don't know him. That's why, why Christians do weird things like tithe or go on mission trips. That's why we devote our lives to the things that God has commanded why? Because we make it our aim to please the one who first gave himself to us. This is the kernel behind the Christian's awkwardness. Now you may or may not have noticed that we haven't spent a whole lot of time talking about baptism in this text. Although this is Baptism Week! I didn't mention it in my quick explanation of the gospel. Paul doesn't mention it in this incredibly dense 11 verses of this is what the gospel is. He talks about reconciliation. He talks about being united back to God. He talks about God dying for his enemies. These are massive truths, and baptism isn't in a bit of it. Not one bit. Paul doesn't ever bring it up in chapter 5. Well, why not? Because it's not a part of the equation. It's not a part of the equation. In fact, trying to add it to the equation of being reconciled to God would actually cheapen what Jesus has actually done. It turns it into this thing where Jesus does his part and then I do my part. And so I'm glad Jesus did his part, but Jesus, aren't you glad I did my part? And what it ultimately ends up doing is robbing Jesus of the glory he deserves. try and force it into the equation, you actually kill the equation. So you can talk about the gospel on and on and on. You can talk about it all day long and never, ever, ever mention baptism and you will not. You will not be guilty of speaking about explaining a partial gospel. The whole of the gospel does not include baptism. It doesn't. As soon as baptism comes into the conversation, you're talking about something ancillary or added to the gospel. But That raises a really, really big question though, right? Like, then why did Jesus command it? Right? I mean, Jesus said, make disciples, baptize them. And if baptism isn't a part of the gospel equation, then why did Jesus command it? And so we're really only left with two options here. Either A, Jesus likes to command things that are just random and have no real benefit, just for, you know, kicks and giggles. Or B, there's a reason why baptism is necessary that has absolutely nothing to do with justification and reconciliation with God. Hey, everybody, who thinks it's B? (laughs) We're gonna go with B? We're We're gonna go with B. There's a reason why baptism is necessary that has nothing to do with salvation. There's this weird flow of logic that happens from Romans five to, to Romans chapter six. We, you can go back to when we studied it in our Just and Justifier series. I think we hit this section. Uh somewhere in September, you can go back and check out the podcast. All right. Uh, but Paul moves from celebrating this radical reconciliation that happens between God and man to discussing a doctrine that we typically call federal headship. It's weird, it's it's a hard concept to wrap your head all the way around. Again, go back and check the podcast. But the, the idea is that Christians are now represented by Jesus instead of Adam. All right. We have a better team captain, basically. All right. But Paul moves from there, from celebrating federal, federal headship, to, to celebrate the glory that God receives by saving sinners. And he actually makes the argument. He actually makes the argument that God receives more glory the more sinful we are because, well, the universe just kind of looks on and goes, them? Like you, wait, wait, no, 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 them? You, you, wanna, you wanna love and make yourself known to those guys? Have you seen those guys? What are you thinking? You can't possibly be serious. Them? And Paul tells us, yeah. It's because God in that moment gets to go, how rich is my mercy? How amazing is my grace? How awesome am I that I would save them? That the cosmos will forever ring out with the grace and the beauty and the glory and the mercy of our good. And so Paul, who's always trying to to love a church and prevent them from walking down the wrong path, prevent prevent them from thinking the wrong thing about the gospel, he asks the next logical question in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Read that with me. Chapter 6, verse 1. Paul says this, Well, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? All right, so if God gets more glory, the more sinful we are, the, the logic just kind of goes, well, shouldn't we run up the sin scoreboard so that God gets more glory? Right, if I make myself as sinful as possible, get myself as dirty as I can, don't I look really clean after the shower? I mean, that's the logic. Paul's answer, heck no, man. (laughs) This is by no means. But he illustrates why in the next part. Look at verse three. Do you not know that all of us who have been, what's that word? Hey, we get to talk about baptism this morning. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his what? His death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in, the new- in newness of life. Verse five, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. even though we can talk correctly and at length about the gospel, about the process of salvation, even though we can talk on and on and on about following Jesus for hours on end and never actually get to talking about baptism, here in Romans chapter six, Paul uses baptism as a picture of a brand new reality that's being birthed in you. A brand new reality that exists inside of you. It's a picture of being Dead to your sin. Being dead to your former way of of living, of being dead to to your old habits and lifestyles, of being dead to yourself as king. It's a picture. Paul says that baptism is a picture of being united to Jesus' death on the cross. Now, every time you see the word baptize in the Bible, it's the Greek word baptizo. It means to immerse, to bring you all the way under the water. Why? It's because it's a, literally a picture of killing you. It, it kind of looks like we're drowning you, and that's the point. It's a picture of death. I, I love my Presbyterian friends. We, we agree about a lot of theology. I can sit down and talk theology while we drink cups of coffee Forever. That's a good day to me. But sprinkling doesn't look like an execution. It just doesn't. According to Paul in Romans 6, it misses the point, right? Baptism is a picture of dying. Of dying. Of dying to yourself and of dying with Jesus. But it's not only a picture of death. We bring you back up, right? Right? It's also a picture of being raised to new life. And that's why we don't hold you under the water until the bubbles stop. <laughs> Seen it in a movie once. It's a picture of a life defined by and ruled by a new king, new values, new pursuits, a life raised with Jesus that begins now and extends on into eternity. That's the picture here. Baptism, biblically understood at least, doesn't accomplish a thing. It's a picture of something already accomplished. A lot of people walk in the door here thinking the baptism is the actual act of washing your sins away. No, Jesus does that. And he doesn't need water to do it. He doesn't need water. He's got it. Baptism is a picture of something that He's already accomplished in you and for you. If if you've ever met with me about baptism, and I mean ever, decades on now, you've heard these words come out of my mouth. Baptism is an external picture of an internal reality. Baptism is an outward picture of an inside reality. It's a declaration of the finished work of Jesus on your behalf and of the new reality that he is creating in you in other words baptism is a story told it's A story told so if it's a declaration if it's this grand story being told who's the story being told to who's the audience well I actually think that there are three audiences in play here the first audience is yourself. That's why Paul brings it up in Romans chapter 6 as a, as a marker of your new identity, right? He says, by no means, he says, don't you remember your baptism? He points to their baptism and says, remember this, remind yourself of this. Follower of Jesus, the times when you're struggling, the times when you're in sin, is still fighting against you and honestly just kicking your tail. The, the times where, uh, where you're spiritually not sure which way is up anymore. But Paul calls on you in that moment to remember the picture of your baptism, to look back on and remind yourself of what Jesus has done. Of what Jesus has done. And in, his, in his goodness to you, he gave you a clear and simple picture, a reminder for your benefit. For your benefit. And this is another reason why baptism ought to happen after someone has actually trusted Jesus. Paul's command doesn't make sense otherwise. It just doesn't. You you can't look back on and remind yourself of something that hasn't happened yet. Baptism is a God-given picture of His faithfulness to you. His faithfulness. And it's on days when you're fighting against your old self, that you can confidently say, no, I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. I was buried with him in baptism and I will be raised with him in everlasting life. It's a picture for your benefit. Baptism is a story told, first and foremost, to yourself. But you're not the only audience. There's other audiences. The second audiences are your friends and family. Listen, if if Jesus has truly changed you, then there's some folks who need to know, right? That's how this game works. Eternity-shaping news can't remain hidden. It must, it deserves to be shared and shown. It must be shown. Some of those friends and family need to know what Jesus has done for you because they are followers of Jesus too. And man, they are going to celebrate with you like you won't believe. They're going to be so excited for you be excited to, to walk with you, to help you grow. And some of those friends and family are not going to be followers of Jesus. And they absolutely need to see what Jesus does. Right? They need to see what Jesus does. He changes people. His lordship affects every arena of your life and it's going to look weird to them and that's okay. Because you're learning as a new believer that following Jesus is still worth it. Will there be times that you struggle to live consistently with with that? Yup. Just lay all the cards on the table. There are going to be times where it's really, really hard. Welcome to the real world. (laughs) But Jesus is good. And he continues to show himself to be good and he continues to walk with you along the way and baptism is telling the story of Jesus's work in you to your friends and family whether they're happy for you or not but there's a third audience the third audience is your new church family your new church family. Uh, God gives every believer a spiritual family, brothers and sisters in Christ to help them walk in maturity and equip them for the work of ministry. Nashua Baptist, with all of our scars and warts and awkwardness, we're no different, all right? Ours are on full display, but here we are. And this is the reason that we require baptism as a part of the membership process here. It's not because it's a a part of the salvation equation. It's because it's a part of your attempt to live publicly with this new life defined by and led by Jesus. It's a public declaration that you are a follower of him and God gives you a church family to help you walk in that. That's what they're there for, to to build you up and to equip you for that, to to lovingly hold you accountable to that when necessary. Baptism happens best, not that it can't happen in other places, but baptism happens best when it's in front of those who are committing themselves to you for for your good. It's entrance into a God-given spiritual family. Your baptism is an opportunity to tell both yourself and the rest of the world around you that Jesus changes hearts and he changes lives and that he's worth following no matter what the cost. That's what baptism is. It's a chance to tell your story of dying to yourself and of dying to your sin and of being raised to, to live a new life in and with Christ. And God has given you an incredibly rich picture to remember that, to, to, to show that to yourself and remind yourself of that and to show everyone else. Baptism is a story told. And Jesus wants that for you so deeply that he just goes ahead and commands it of his followers baptize them they they need that picture baptize them he's good to us that way so what, what do we do with this stuff right like how, how do we respond to god's word this morning well if you're here and you're not a follower of jesus yet your, your response is to meet jesus listen it's not to be baptized at least not yet Nor is it to do any other religious action. The Bible teaches that we have all fallen short of the glory of God and are separated from him because of our sin. All of us, me included. It also teaches that the wages of that sin, the thing properly owed for that sin is death. In the very next breath, Paul says, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus came and he died in your place and he now calls on you to repent of your sin and call on him as Lord. And you can be reconciled to God this morning by trusting in his righteousness instead of your own. That's how it works. In a second, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing. I'm gonna duck out of here and go change into swim trunks because we got a baptism in a second. But there'll be some other leaders down here who would love to walk with you and pray with you, talk with you, whatever, uh, to help you figure out what that response looks like. You can respond to Jesus this morning. If you're here this morning and you're already a follower uh, and, and you're already a follower of Jesus, you can respond to God's word too. Right? This is for everyone. For for those who have already been baptized, it's an opportunity for you this morning to, to thank Jesus for an incredibly simple gift a picture to remind you of what he has done. So lean into that this morning. Remind yourself of his goodness to you. Celebrate that gift this morning as we sing together. For those of you who are Christians but have not been baptized yet, what are you waiting for? (laughs) Right? Like, what are you waiting for? You need to tell the story for your own benefit and for others. Uh, it, it, this is something that's been given to you for your good. Why would you ever try to walk without it? It's not the smartest move. You're smarter than that. What are you waiting for? So, listen, I, I love you. Your response this morning is to repent of whatever's held you back whatever has held you back, and come talk to one of our leaders about pursuing baptism. Make me fill this tank up next week. (laughs) Talking about being ecstatic and excited about things all week long. If I have to drain this thing today and fill it up again on Friday, that's a good week for me. (laughs) What are you waiting for? I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. Let's all respond to God's word this morning. Father, you're good to us. Thank you for sending your son who came and lived and died and rose again. Not because we had anything you needed. Not because we had anything that obligated you to us. Because you are good. It's because you are rich in mercy because your grace knows no bounds it's because you are mighty to save and so for god for those in here who know you and walk with you would you help us remember our baptism this morning as we fight daily against sin so we fight daily against doubt You've given us an incredibly simple picture to look back on and say, yes, I believe this. I'm banking on this. I'm chasing this. For those in here who who are followers of you who have not responded in obedience to baptism yet, it is disobedience. Would you call us to repentance? Would you help us take the next step with courage? And God, for those in here who don't know you yet, would you make yourself known? Would you show your bigness and your goodness and your loveliness this morning by saving the those who don't know you yet? Open eyes to see. God, as we respond to your word this morning, would you inhabit the praise of your people? Help us celebrate your good gifts. In Jesus' name we pray.